I just kind of happened to glance over at them and realize it's a really, really naked hippie chick feeding a ground squirrel nacho cheese Doritos. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast, the podcast where we tell your stories of self-discovery and outdoor adventures. Tonight, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to have you guys back tonight for episode six. Um, I'm I'm excited you've stayed with me for this long. We are going to be doing a couple of things tonight. One, we're going to be talking about an absolutely beautiful piece of coastline, um, one of the most beautiful in the entire world, according to multiple sources not just myself. And um, we're also going to be kind of wrapping up my storyline, my the arc of my story. We're going to bring it to a close and put a bow on it. It came out to be about six episodes long. It encompasses from kind of where I started my story, where I started looking for myself. Um, some really dark times in the first three episodes were pretty heavy. Um, but we've been on an upward trajectory ever since in the story, which is because my life's been on an upward trajectory ever since those days. Um, so tonight we're gonna um, we're gonna wrap up my story arc in this episode about Big Sur because Big Sur is kind of where my story arc wrapped up. Um, it has that kind of effect on people. It's magical. It's a mystical. It's even described as mythical according to the Washington Post in one 2006 article. Um, let's talk about that real quick. I pulled that article up. And uh, it does not have a byline, but the quote that I wanted to read to you guys is, now this is about Big Sur and California Highway 1 through Big Sur. One of the most beautiful coastlines anywhere in the world, an isolated stretch of road, mythic in reputation. I absolutely love that. That is such a romanticized way to describe Big Sur, and I absolutely love it because it's true. It is mystical. It has a magic to it. There's something, to me at least, um, and we're all going to see things differently, but to me at least, there is something absolutely spiritual about Big Sur. It struck me on a very deep, very real level. I had to go back. I had to keep going back. Um, and that wasn't super easy for me. It was close enough. It was about an hour and 15 minutes from where I was at in Watsonville to kind of the up, uppermost edge Big Sur is kind of undefined, um, but it's generally accepted what is considered the region of Big Sur on the central California coast is from the Carmel Highlands, which is um, right there off the southern tip of Monterey Bay, by Carmel by the sea, um, and it goes down to San Simeon, just about a 71-mile stretch of highway, what is generally accepted to be the area of Big Sur, but it's not defined by any corporate boundaries or anything. As a matter of fact, the entire area is like vast majority owned by federal and state entities in a in a effort to protect it. And people are going to have differing views about that. But I personally am all for this. In some of these places like Big Sur, if you went there yourself and saw it in person, I feel like you would agree with me on this. It's kind of like Yosemite. It's kind of like Yellowstone. It's kind of like the Grand Canyon. Any of you guys that get outside every weekend, every other weekend, once a month, like me, who spend 
a majority of your time on the trails. And some of that time, every time is spent picking up other people's trash and their batteries from their camera that they just threw down on the ground to rot and deteriorate and leak battery acid into the soil. Um, any of you who've ever camped anywhere, um, God, I don't want to call out too many groups of people. Um, and had to listen to really loud music till three in the morning when you were out there trying to enjoy nature. Look, like I'm going to get off this soapbox because we have stuff to cover in tonight ep- tonight's episode. That's one I'll get off on and I don't want to do that. Um, but let me just say this. Any of you who've spent much time out there know that I'm not wrong when I say there is a certain group of, quote, outdoor enth- enthusiasts, end quote, who literally go out there because that's where the cops are not, right? You know I'm not wrong about that. Anyway, I've come through experience in my adult life to actually appreciate the fact that in some cases, the federal government and state governments have bought places up and they protect them from idiots like us because we're human and we do idiotic things. It's just who we are, apparently. Um... It is deserving of being protected. As a matter of fact, you guys think I was uh, exaggerating last week when I said it had a more profound impact on me than Yosemite did. Um, I was, A, telling the truth, but B, I found out tonight, I was doing a little research because I wanted to brush up on the place names. Like, guys, it's been two years and there's a lot of stuff going on in Big Sur and I wanted to brush up on the geography too so I I could remember kind of the progression north to south. And as I was reading about it, I discovered that it literally overtook Yosemite this last year and the year before, I think. Well, not COVID year, but previous to that. Um, The last few years, it's overtaken Yosemite in popularity as far as number of visitors per year. Wrap your brain around that. You need to get out there while you can get out there because four to five million people a year. What is five million people divided by 365 days? That's pretty insane to think about on a 71 mile stretch of road that hugs the California coast where there's nowhere to go, but into a rock wall or 500 feet down to the ocean. And it's a two lane road and nary a shoulder in many places because there's just not room for a shoulder. That is not an exaggeration. There are places on that highway when I was out there driving it, there was one place where there was like a little rock, rocky crag on the ocean side, which was a huge cliff straight down. And there was this giant excavator machine. I think it was a, um, I think it was a track hoe was perched in the only place it could be that wasn't on the road or in the ocean. And all I could think to myself was whoever that guy is, He doesn't get paid enough for what he does. There's not an amount of money on this planet that would get me behind the controls of a machine that large with nowhere to go except down. Yeah, that, but that's highway one and that's part of its beauty and it's magic and it's mystique. There's nothing but you and a flimsy little metal guardrail in some places between you and the ocean, which is 600 feet below you. Um, it is a breathtaking place. It really is. It's a place that will strike you on some level. Um, one of the things on Highway 1 in Big Sur that is a huge draw is the Bixby Creek Bridge. Um, 
it is said to be the most photographed bridge in California and one of the most in the United States. And it's a, with good reason. It has beautiful architecture. It has an art spandrel on the... Uh, don't let me... I may misuse that. That's expert talking. Um, may not be spandrel, but it has arch architecture on the underside of the deck. Um, it's got a beautiful curvature to it. The way the highway comes in, takes a hard left down the bluff line, and then kind of comes back to the right for the bridge. So there's it creates like this perfect viewing point to look at the bridge broadside from south, uh, north to south, looking right at it broadside. The sun will be setting off to your right. And um, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely busy. Good luck parking. There might be room for 20 or 30 cars, five and a half or four to five million people a year. Do that math. It doesn't work out. I did manage to get parked there once, and I did manage to get pictures, and I'm very happy that I have that picture. Um, it took some effort to make that happen. If you get to go do that, protect your children, because there are many ways to die there, and I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating, unless they've changed something between then and now. It's been two years, and... Um, Probably going on closer to three, maybe. No, it's two years, almost exactly. Unless something has changed in two years, there are ways, multiple ways to die there. All of them involve falling a very long way. Multiple places to find a way to kill yourself there. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Two, be respectful. Be considerate of others. Don't overstay your welcome. Five million people a year. Don't be the only person that gets a picture on that day. Get in. Take your pictures, get out, make room for someone else to come in. Um, there are things on the docket out there, as far as what I'm reading tonight about it, where they're talking about parking by appointment only, pay parking by appointment only, because it's become such an issue and so dangerous. It is a huge traffic jam trying to get through there for anyone who's just driving the highway and doesn't even want to stop, and it's become very dangerous. So if you go... Be good, be considerate, be good out-of-towners, be good tourists. Um, don't leave your trash there. Um, yeah, we're, we got to stay away from that soapbox. Um, but this is a the reason I'm going to keep accidentally almost going and jumping up on that soapbox is because in this area, that's a big issue. And it's an issue that I talked about with some of the locals there. You know, there's like, I think, 14 or 1,600 roughly um, year-round residents in that that huge stretch of land, there's only 1,600 residents. It is, believe it or not, somehow with that many visitors, it's still one a very inaccessible stretch of land, stretch of coastline. It is sparsely populated and highly protected against development, against new buildings, against new housing, against new anything going in there. Um, and the local residents, most of them make their living off of the tourism, and they have a bit of a love-hate relationship with us. Um, I talked at length with several. I had dinner in one of the diners one night, one of the restaurants, and talked with the waiter and the waitresses and the owner. Um, I talked with a lady in Big Sur Village one day selling Big Sur Jade, which is like a particular kind of jade that comes from local there in Big Sur, and it's a particular shade of green that is apparently very unique, at least according to her. Um, and I talked with her at length 
you know, 15 minutes maybe one day while I was passing through. And they all have a very similar point of view. We're, we're thankful for this customers. We're thankful that we can make a living, living in this beautiful place, but people suck. And can you argue with them? Any of you guys work in retail? Think about that. If you've ever worked in any kind of retail or restaurant food establishment, people do generally suck. And can you only imagine when you are the guardians, the keepers of a place that is so immaculate and wonderful and mystical and magical and spiritual that it's one of the top 35 tourist destinations on the entire planet? What it must feel like when people come in and trash your home and what you are essentially a caretaker of, a guardian of, because that's where your life is. That is your home. Um, they have a love-hate relationship with us. So it's going to be hard for me to stay off of the soapbox. And in the end, all I want to say is be courteous, be considerate. Guys, you don't have to be any kind of religious to observe the golden rule, because believe it or not, the golden rule is existent in almost all major religions in one form or another. But essentially, if you wouldn't want it done to you, don't do it to them. However you would like your home to be respected, if everyone drove through it, if 5 million people a year drove through your home <laughs> because it was so beautiful, just think about how that would affect you and how you would want people to treat you, the kind of consideration you would like to be given to you, and just give that to them. That's all I'm saying. It's all I'm asking. Um, they're wonderful people. I met many of them. I talked to everybody, guys. That's part of my trips. That's part of what I do when I'm out there is make more human connections. Try to make friends. Try to make um, acquaintances. I love talking to people. I love making those connections. And I talked with a lot of them. Like, they're good people. Treat them well. Um and go to Big Sur Village and buy a t-shirt like I did or buy some jade or whatever other kind of little touristy souvenir you can. Spend your money on dinner at their restaurant there in Big Sur Village or any of the other little places you might come across as you go through Big Sur. Do that. Just be a good human about it and enjoy every second of it. You're going to get some great meals when you go do this. I'm just telling you. You're going to get some great meals. You're going to get some great views. Um, you won't want to leave. You won't ever want to leave Big Sur. Um, for me, it was absolutely, there was a spiritual thing kind of going on there for me. That's just me personally, but it was deeply meaningful to me. Um, earth and ocean meet in a violent fashion there. Very high mountains. Um mountains rise out of the sea the sea is trying to reclaim the mountains it's it's absolutely beautiful um i think it's little big sir river comes through it's absolutely beautiful fast moving clear water cold mountain creek rushing down through the redwood forest working its way down to the ocean um giant redwoods what what could be better i mean imagine this the pacific the angry pacific ocean meeting a mountain range that is covered in redwoods. Like it, it's it's um it's very special. It's very special. Um Pfeiffer Big Sur State Park. That's where I camped in the Redwoods. It's where you can camp in the Redwoods. And you should. If you get guys, 
There are places on this planet that should be on your bucket list to camp. A redwood forest is one of them. And there's more than one that you can pick from, but I highly suggest one of the ones in Big Sur. Um, Pfeiffer Big Sur State Park is different than Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park. They are right next to each other. Um, And neither of which are completely connected to Pfeiffer Beach. But they are, but they're different. The reason I bring up Pfeiffer Beach, we're going to talk about Pfeiffer Beach for a minute. I went down to Big Sur many times. Hour hour and 15 minute drive to the start for me. Then a two, three hour drive, however long you want it to be down through Big Sur, depending on how much afternoon I had or if it was on my day off. Um, And so much to see there. And I went to all the things and all the places. There's so many little coves, some of them, and I just went completely blank on the name. You guys write me, tell me, comment, and tell me what it is. But it's the beach down there. I think it's off of Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park. And it's where the, um, have a waterfall plunging into the bay on a little beach. And it's inaccessible. You can't get to it. You can only view it from up at road level, up at park level. And it's way down there. It's absolutely gorgeous, but it's inaccessible. You can't get down there to it. Um, though I did see people down there at it when I was there. I don't even know how they began to try to get down there, but it is considered inaccessible, probably highly dangerous to get there. I'm not sure. I didn't, I did not look into that while I was there. Um, so many things to see and do, but anyway, I saw all this stuff. I went to all these places and checked out all these things, but I realized at a point, these are all the stuff. This is all the stuff that's on Google maps. This, these are the major tourist attractions. There has to be some stuff here that's not well known. The kind of things the locals go do where all the people aren't. And I went into one of the shops one day and I bought an awesome hoodie. It's one of my favorite hoodies I've ever bought. Um, and I bought this awesome hoodie and I asked this guy in there, I said, hey, like, here's my situation. I've been here a couple of months. I'm absolutely in love with this place. Um, but I've been through here however many times, a bunch of times now. And I love it every time, but it's the same stuff. You know, it's all the tourist attraction stuff and it's overran with people. Where do you guys go? Where do the locals go? What do you guys, you live here in this special place. What do you consider special in this place? Um, and he told me about a place. He said Pfeiffer beach. Um, and he explained to me, he said, now listen, you're going to get that confused. It is on Google Maps. He's like, you're going to get it confused with Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park. They're not the same thing. You have to go for Pfeiffer Beach. And it's not the beach at Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park. Okay, that's where you get messed up. He said, it's Pfeiffer Beach. Here's how you get there. Here's how you find it. It's not easy to get into. You need four-wheel drive, most likely. Um... I saw people do it in two-wheel drive cars, but it was not good for their undercarriage. That is not a euphemism. Um, And he said, you got to go early in the afternoon because there's only like maybe 20, 25 spots, if that, for cars to park. Um, And it will fill up fast. So I took him at his word. I went down. I went relatively early. Guys, this is one of those stories like, this this story still I can't believe sometimes. 
Um, I went early, made my way down winding little dirt road that's very narrow, hard to find places to pass when someone is coming out, et cetera, et cetera. Get to the bottom, go through a creek that was quarter way up my door panel on my Xterra. I've got decent ground clearance and it was a deep creek right there before you hit the parking lot. Sure enough, maybe 20, 25 spots. I grab a spot, I walk down to the beach and there's this giant, beautiful sea arch, literally right in the water's edge. I suspected a low tide or some other situation, you might could walk right through the arch. I don't know that for a fact, but it's that kind of close. Um, on the beach you're standing on, viewing this keyhole arch is purple sand. I'm not kidding. There is some kind of a, a rock bluff. I believe it's limestone, but a very particularly colored rock bluff line. And when it erodes down to the beach, you get purple sand. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, so I take, <laughs> I, I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm taking some pictures, but the sun's still relatively high in the sky, right? It's not that time yet. It's not picture time. But I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know what? And I'm guesstimating, you know, the movement of the sun is going to fall this way. And I thought, you know, I bet that sun will set in the arch if I time this right. You know, you're playing odds. You don't know this for a fact, but things look right. So you're going to play the odds. So I kind of guesstimate. I did my very best guesstimation of where I think, what the trajectory of the sun was going to be. You can actually figure the trajectory of the sun pretty quickly using your fingers. Um, and I guessed, and I just staked my tripod right in the sand, camera and all on top of it. I didn't care. Threw my bag down next to it, and I went off exploring. Like, I went off around the edge as far as I could go and was tooling around, checking out all this stuff. And I come back around right before sunset. I've got probably... 30 minutes to horizon kind of thing, you know, right there where you really want it to be. And I come back around this like little edge of where the, the, the beach had wrapped around and there's like probably 50 or 60 people around my tripod and my camera with these giant cameras, giant tripods. I, oh my God, cameras with lenses and huge like gel filters, like, a bunch of professional equipment was surrounding my tiny little Canon T6 Rebel on its little tripod. It was cute. Um, and I'm like, what is going on? And of course, I just assumed, hey, I must have called it right. Sun's going to set in the arch. Look at all these people. So I go over and I restake my claim. I get behind my camera. I have to horn my way through all these people. And I kind of reclaim my camera and I set up my shot and I'm looking it over and I think, yeah, this is going to happen. This is going to be a thing. And more people are coming over the, I was like, where did they park? There's only room for like 20 or 25 cars and people were hiking down. Like, and it's like a two and a half mile road in. Um, there's actually state, I'd say they're park rangers, but I don't know how that works exactly in California. It's not, I don't think that was federal land. I think that was state land. But anyway, they had guys, they had game rangers, let's just call them that, who were at the top flagging people off from what I understood. And, you know, parking lot's full. Turn around. Parking lot's full. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm watching this. And finally, my curiosity got the best of me. I was like, I don't want to tell this guy that I don't know what's going on. But I mean, I already feel like a I'm a, I'm a poser here. I don't just feel like I am a poser here. 
Um, and I lean over to the guy next to me and I'm like, Hey man, what's going on? And he looks at me down his nose with utter disdain. I mean, his voice didn't sound like this, but in my mind, it will always have sounded like this when he's like, Oh, you wouldn't know, would you? But (laughs) anyway, I said, no, I don't know what's going on. And he said, there's only a handful of days in the entire year where the sun sets in the keyhole arch. And today is one of those days. And I'm like, what? Yeah. So, beyond feeling really horrible about myself, I decided that I wasn't giving up my position for these people with their fancy cameras because I got there first and I had just as much right as they did. And I absolutely did stumble bass backwards into the opportunity of a lifetime. There's only a tiny window in every given year that you could get this picture. And within my time there, I had even smaller windows that this could have possibly ever happened. And yet it did. Dumb blind luck I stumbled my way into one of the shots of a lifetime. And that picture is in my top two or three that I've ever taken. It looks like either the gates to heaven or the gates to hell have been opened wide. There's this orange-like fireball, it looks like, in the arch as the sea is crashing through it. And it's spread out in this, this really bright, deep orange door shape. I mean, this is like, we're talking guys, keyhole arch. It's not really an arch. It's very much door shaped. It looks like a door. If you Google Pfeiffer beach, you're going to find images of that keyhole arch. It looks like a door. It looks like a door has been opened to either the pits of hell or the glories of heaven or the ether or whatever you think is out there on the other side of anything. And I got that picture with my crappy little camera amidst all those guys and their big fancy equipment all looking down their noses at me, but I still got my picture. And it's just one of those things. What are the odds? So continue my time out in California, going up and down Big Sur, seeing some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen and just being there. Because honestly, when it comes to Big Sur, just being there is enough. At least for me, it was. Anywhere you could go, and access the coast or access like the little Big Sur River, um, the redwoods, it, it's something magical. There's something in the air there. Um, we had talk about one of my favorite places in the whole area. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in this one. Um, Lion Kiln Creek State Park. This one was a bit of a one-off for me. I was searching Like, what else is there? This is way further down towards the southern tip. It's not all the way down, but it's way down towards the southern tip of Big Sur. Um, And a much further drive from where I was. But I was looking at it, and as I've mentioned previously, I am indeed a history nerd. And it's called Lime Kiln Creek State Park because there are lime kilns from the 1800s 
in the park that are abandoned and what's left of them. Um, so I was like, this is great. Double waterfall, double waterfall in the park. Um, I'm like, okay, we got everything going on here. I've got to go down to Lime Kiln Creek State Park. So I make this trip one day, go all the way down there. Um, and one of the first things I did, like this is a one-off within the one-off. One of the first things I did is wander over to their little section of coastline. They have just a little bitty area that you would consider a beach, but it's not really a beach. It's coastline. It's rocky and craggy and the waves are breaking on in very dramatic fashion. And, um, anyway, I walk over there and there's a few people around and I'm trying to get positioned to try to take a few pictures before I start into the hiking trails and up to the lime kiln and all the different things, the double waterfall. And I wander up and look over next to me. Like I'm fixated on the coastline. I'm fixated on what's going on on the shore and where do I see a shot I want to try to take. And I walk up, you know, my peripheral vision, there's a person on the ground sitting there and I walk up sort of kind of next to him within 10 feet. And I just kind of happen to glance over at them and realize it's a really, really naked hippie chick feeding a ground squirrel nacho cheese Doritos. I know this sounds like a Florida man story somehow, but it's not. It's a California chick story. And this ground squirrel, I have pictures of it. And not of her, mind you. I dare not. But I have pictures of the ground squirrel eating his little nacho cheese Dorito, and it's absolutely hilarious. You know, things. there are things that you think in your life that will probably never cross your mind. One of the things I never expected to think in my life was that being a ground squirrel might be a pretty sweet gig. I don't, I mean, really, there's nothing else that needs to be said about that. Um, But yeah, there are strange things. There are so many strange things that you will happen upon in California. I mean, just being honest, that one was unique in and of itself, I have to say. Um, So anyway, I left Naked Hippie Chick and her cool ranch, or uh, nacho cheese Doritos and ground squirrel buddy behind. And I went on up to go hike on the trail, hike up, check out the lion kiln, whatever. It's very cool. Got some pictures. Um, that was a cool day. I just remembered this story. There's a little girl and she was probably, gosh, probably my daughter's age. Now she was probably six or seven. And she was like getting all artsy fartsy up in there with her camera on her phone, man. I mean, she was working it. She's down at the ground looking for perspectives and me being, someone who's done and been into photography for a lot of years in one form or another couldn't help but take interest and I was talking to her and her parents about her taking pictures and like she was genuinely interested in photography so I told them about some great apps you know for editing some great apps for taking the photos um see those are the kinds of things guys those little human connections like that little girl was on cloud nine on one of the apps that I recommended to her for editing. Cause for her, it would be perfect for like me, especially for real professionals. That's it's not a thing, but for someone like her age, like ease of interface, ease of use and what it can do with your photos, man, right up her alley that right there. See, there's opportunities. You get opportunities in this life. And I, and I may be over exaggerating this. I could be completely wrong. But I know how 
grownups who took interest in me when I was young, how they affected me. I know how I still remember those things to this day. And all I'm saying is there are opportunities in this world, if you're paying attention, where you can make an impression or do something helpful to a kid, to a young person, that it would encourage them on something they care about that could make a lasting impression. I'd like to think, I would like to think that I helped her that day with something that could help to encourage her to continue to chase that and that that will be a lifelong hobby for her. Maybe it could be a career someday, but if nothing else, a lifelong hobby. I would like to think that I could play some role in someone's life like that. I know that it happened to me. So there's nothing wrong. There's no harm in taking those opportunities when they present themselves to try to be that for someone else. Because whether they do or not doesn't matter. In the end, it's taking the opportunity to try. Because if you do affect them in that positive way, you can literally send them on a different trajectory through their life or give them something that adds value to their life, you know, depth to their life. Photography is an awesome hobby for people to have because... In reality, it's not that expensive to get into and maintain throughout your life. It's a hobby you can do in any physical condition from young to very old. Like, it's just a great hobby. Um, The whole point I'm making here, that story, I just remembered that story. And the whole reason I'm making this point is we have all opportunities in our lives to make differences for people with just a two or three minute conversation You know, just be interested enough in people to give a little bit of yourself and make an investment in someone else. Every time you do that, this world gets a little bit better. Um, And it's an uphill battle because the world's pretty crappy sometimes. That's all I'm saying. Um, Anyway, I've done that. You know, I went up, saw the lime kilns. Um, Very cool. Very cool. Wrapping your brain around the fact that there was like an industrial thing going on way back up in this valley, which is almost... I mean, it was hard to access hiking, and I'm in good shape, but when redwoods blow down, redwoods fall down a lot, maybe because they're so tall and heavy, but when they fall down, it's like a mountain is in your way. It's not a tree that you can just walk around. The things are 200 feet long and literally taller than your head when they're laying on their side. I have a picture there from there in Limekiln Creek, and you look at it, And I I mean, I had to do so much to get the whole tree in from a distance. And you're looking at the picture and you're like, wow, yeah, those look like big trees. Until you zoom in and realize the tiny dot that's miscolored at the bottom is a human. And then you're like, oh my God, those are otherworldly trees. Those are like trees from like the dinosaur era. Like we're talking, this is like Pleistocene stuff here for real. Um, But I set out to go up and try to find this double waterfall because I'm all about the waterfalls. Um, And the right out of the gate, the very first thing you have to do is cross a creek that's like close to mid-thigh deep. Um, I've only got one pair of shoes. This is one of the more interesting stories of really my adulthood. Um, I got one pair of shoes and they're on my feet. And I'm like, okay, look, I got three-hour drive back to the hotel. I got a whole day ahead of me. Um, it's going to be a miserable day in wet shoes. So I decide the only rational thing to do was go barefoot. 
it's like, I don't want to misquote that, but it's a, it's a hike from there up probably a mile or better over slick rocks with multiple Creek crossings, multiple Creek crossings, climbing over downed trees. It was a trek. It was not a hike. It was a trek. So I took my shoes off and I barefoot my way up the side of this mountain after these two waterfalls on Limekiln Creek in Southern California or in Central California. And it was one of the most physically painful and stupid things I've ever done. But it is one of my favorite things I have ever done. And I would never take it back in a million years. I wouldn't change it. If I had it to do again, I wouldn't change it. Man, that was experiencing the Central California Big Sur Coast at its finest. It was freaking cold. We're into March now, but it's freaking cold still out there. That creek is rushing out of the mountains. It is ice cold, like ice picks stabbing into your leg, like needles in your leg when you go through it. That was actually somewhat helpful because it numbed some of the pain of walking on the rocks, trying to get through the creek. Um, It took me forever. It took way longer than it should have for me to hike to that double waterfall because there were places where I could not hardly move at any kind of a pace at all because the rocks are sharp and uneven and slick and it was dangerous guys like it was not it was not safe but I got there by god I got to that double waterfall and I got that picture and this is the sucky part it is a crap picture like the double waterfall was completely blown out in broad daylight And the only access to the waterfall was total shadows and dark from the giant redwoods and the canopy. Like, there was no way. For me, being an amateur still photographer, I understand moving photography very well. Very much an amateur still photographer at that time, especially learning a new camera. Because something I didn't mention in the last episode is when I got swamped at Natural Bridge it ruined a camera and I had to buy a new one. So I'm on a brand new camera, my little Canon Rebel T6, whatever, trying to learn it and understand exposure, trying to understand what few filters I have. And honestly, I'm not a rich dude, so I don't get to spend a ton of money on camera equipment, right? Like there are things I want to this day and I've wanted for the last two years that I still don't own because they have not made it high enough up my list of priorities that are necessities, right? Um, And that picture just came out crap. For all I did to get there, I still have the picture, and I've tried to edit it a million ways to Sunday and Lightroom and everything else, and I just can't get anything out of it. But I do have it. But again, even though that the picture turned out to be crap, the experience itself is something I'll never forget, and I'm glad I did it. No matter how bad it hurt, I'm glad I did it. Because to me, guys, this is one of those things. Like, this is me being weird again. This is just who I am. Being there, feeling the cold water. Feeling the pain of the cold water and the sharp rocks. Like, that is experiencing nature. That's not just being in it or driving through it and see it. That's not just seeing a picture. It's far more than just seeing a picture on the internet. Like... You're not just seeing it, you're living it. 
you're feeling it. You are literally physically sensing it with all of your senses. You hear it, you see it, you smell it. You can taste it because you're smelling it. The two are inextricably linked, if you will recall. And there's just no other way to be closer to it than when you're really in the midst of it. And especially when it's extremely, say, cold or hot or windy, super windy, you're experiencing the weather, the whole environment. And that's the closest you can really be to being in touch with nature, in my opinion. It's a special thing, and I would never take it back in a million years. Um, however, this little barefoot escapade, escapade almost cost me big time. Because on my way back down, as I was crossing one of the creek crossings, this is a fast-moving creek. At this point, it's like waist deep. Um, and I'm also questioning the shoe decision because I'm like, well, now I'm soaked through my underwear, my shorts. What am I going to do about this? However, those do dry faster than shoes. I will say that. But at this particular place I'm crossing, it's pushing mid-thigh at least deep. That's a lot of moving water. It's a lot of weight behind it. And to my left, the creek drops off it's not a waterfall but like the topography the bottom of the creek drops into a big hole where the water has routed out a giant sink you know like not a sinkhole but a big hole in the water there's a hydraulic going on down there i can see it it's right against the strainer where a lot of trees had fallen in which is honestly probably what created that that hole in that hydraulic is all that the power of that water rushing through and it had nowhere to go and it starts its little cycle. So anyway, that's over here to my left. Way too close, but this is where the crossing is and the options, you don't have a lot of options. You cross where people cross and you can tell this is somewhat safe because people do it here. And as I'm going across barefoot, I lose my footing, twist my ankle, jam between a rock, and I go down about halfway, not all the way down, but I lost my tripod into the hydraulic. Lime Kiln Creek still owns that tripod. I highly doubt anyone has ever seen it again. And I go down with my other hand, holding the camera, and dunk the camera into the creek. My brand new, like $400 camera, which I immediately thrust back out of the water as fast as I can. Um... And ultimately, the camera was okay. Somehow, you know, it still kept working. And I go on down and I make my way out. But I had a close call. And that whole barefoot thing nearly cost me big time. Not just a camera. Not just a tripod. But like me. Because I know the power of hydraulics. I've experienced them. And that hydraulic, based on my knowledge of them. And the way that one was, I say constructed. But the way it had formed. That was a dangerous hydraulic. There was no way out of that. I mean, a hydraulic going into a strainer. It's like a double whammy. Um, anyway, so I go back down a little ways. And I decide, I'm already soaked, you know, from about mid-chest down now. And so I start getting into other sections. And I don't know that it's all Lime Kiln Creek down there because there were certain places where I think it split. I think there was multiple coming in. I'm not positive. But there was a very picturesque place where you could get into the creek looking upstream 
and you could see a like a really beautiful wooden bridge constructed on the footpath, on the hiking path across the creek. And the redwoods are towering and you've got little cascades happening coming in and like this broad daylight, but there's enough shadows. I was able to pull off some long exposure. So I'm squatted down in the creek, freezing to death, sharp rocks against my feet, cold water rushing around my legs. Like I said a while ago, experiencing, experiencing. And I'm working on getting this picture. And somehow, for some reason, in that moment, I found myself. That was the moment I knew who I was. For better or worse, in that moment is when I found myself. What I realized is I was squatting down, freezing, my calves burning, my thighs burning, and the awkward angle that I had to squat to hold to get that the, the right angle, the right perspective, the camera low in the water. I just realized... This is me. For whatever reason, for whatever it will ever amount to, in that moment, I realized it didn't matter. It didn't matter that I probably would never be able to make a career out of experiencing nature. It didn't matter, and I knew it in that moment. What I understood in that moment was, this is you, dude. For all your weird idiosyncrasies, for all of your quirks, for all of the things you love that nobody else gets, that people make fun of you all the damn time for. Like literally, guys, you won't believe this, but I'd literally get made fun of. I know, I thought we were adults too, right? I've literally been made fun of and ostracized because I like photography. I'm not joking. In that moment, in that creek, that was the moment I quit caring about people who like to make fun of me, about these things I do. My YouTube channel, I got a guy that tries to roast me about my YouTube channel. I'm like, dude, I know it doesn't, I know this is like a complex mathematical equation for you, but I put my own face on YouTube. You're not going to embarrass me about putting my face on YouTube. I made that decision myself. Like he missed something in translation. But anyway, my point is that moment in that creek is when I quit caring what people think about what I like and don't like. Like that moment, look at all the crap I've told you about myself in these first six episodes. I do not care what people think about what I love on this planet, how I see it, how I feel about things, my emotional, like how I am as a person. Like, I thank God we're in a world now. Like, I mean, I'm on the search and rescue team and something that is huge now is self-care. Because PTSD, because 22 veterans a day commit suicide, because that's actually a thing. Finally, we're getting over the stupid man idea of men don't cry and men don't have feelings. Thank God, as a society, we have finally progressed past that. Now, there's still clingers. There are still people out there who cling to this. But, like, the tables have turned now. Now, everyone makes fun of them for like being the manly men who don't cry as opposed to the other way around where we all got called sissy boys, you know, for the most of history. Thank God we progressed beyond that to a place where we're a society that more than not values therapy, values emotional and mental health that recognizes it as a very real legitimate concern 
in our society, in our culture worldwide as a human race. Thank God we've gotten there. But I, those things still bothered me up until two years ago, that day in that creek. And for whatever reason, it clicked in my mind. Justin, this is it. You love this. This is you. For better, for worse. Whoever thinks it's weird or doesn't, it does not matter. This is who you are. And from that moment forward, I've owned that. That is who I am. And it doesn't matter if I can make money with it or not, or it'll be a career or not. It's not going to be a career. I get that. Like I said in the last episode, this is where I had, I made peace with the fact that my brain is, you know, a cause and effect brain. Whatever you spend your time and effort on should be something that is of value to your, your personal life, your, your child's well-being, you know, a better future, whatever. It always comes down to like success and money and all those kinds of things. But again, what I just said about being a society that's suddenly starting to, you know, finally starting to accept the idea of self-care and what's good for us emotionally, spiritually, mentally. That's what I realized in that moment is no matter what it ever does for you financially or success or anything like that. It's more important than all that combined because it's what it does for you in here. That's what matters about this. This is who you are. You are here to tell stories. You are here to capture the beautiful things you see. You go chase certain things. You chase certain pictures that you already see in your mind. You already know they're out there and you know where to go try to find it. And you hope to find it in the right conditions, the right lighting, the right circumstance to grab that picture and bring it back and show someone else. It will never make me a dime. But that's me living out my purpose. Capturing beautiful things so that other people can see them. No matter how few or how many people ever do, that's it. I'm a storyteller. I'm doing it right now on this podcast. I'm doing it on my YouTube channel, trying to do it with photography. Again, it doesn't matter if it ever makes me a success. That's not the point. That is who I am as a person. I'm a storyteller. I'm someone who tries to connect to people. That's who I am. That's when I found myself. And like that is the culmination of my story arc through it all from the first thing where everything literally, okay, let me put this to you this way. You know, I never got this probably succinctly summed up in the first three episodes of what I was really trying to tell you guys about my story. But essentially the worst thing that ever happened to me happened. I thought in that moment, I will never trust another human being. How could you after this? I how how can I even recover? There, are, I can't even put into words how dark the place has got in that moment. And I started trying to find my way out from there. That is my whole story was that gave me an opportunity. The single worst thing that ever happened to me was somehow in this crazy paradox that I could never explain. Also, the very best thing that ever happened to me. The two coexist to this moment side by side. The worst thing that ever happened to me is also the best thing because it gave me the opportunity and broke me from something I would have never left myself to open my eyes, to continue back on my path that had been put on hold. It was on a moratorium for over a decade. It gave me all of that back. And apparently that's more important. Apparently that is more important than maintaining a status quo in my world, apparently. Ever since that moment of horrid, 
this happened, and don't get me wrong, it has not been easy. It's been a long, painful road. And a, God, a slog, a struggle, and a fight to survive. But at the same time, from the moment that happened, I'm talking within like a week, my life changed for the better. Step by step by step, it's been a, a constant, slow, but steady ascension from a place that I don't even know how I got to, to start with, to somewhere I could have never imagined I would be going. That is a true statement. The worst thing that ever happened to me was somehow also the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's my story arc. And it all revolves around nature somehow. It's all about the outdoors because it's what drew me back out of the hole. It's what brought me back and helps define who I am. It's what I've always loved. It's what I've always cared about. And somehow it's intertwined with my path in this life. And I have no idea why. But here we are. And that is the culmination of my story arc. We should wrap up this week's episode right here. Um, I've covered Big Sur and what it meant to the trajectory of my story. And we're kind of wrapping that part up. We'll come back next week. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about just yet. I've got a week to think about it. And I'm going to keep telling stories until I start getting stories from you guys. But um, I appreciate you guys coming along for the ride this far. Please, please, please send me your stories. I want to talk to you and with you and tell your story. Mywaywardstory at gmail.com. As always, send the story in. Or you can go over to waywardstories.com where you can get hooked up with all of our social anything. From Instagram to Facebook to Twitter to Reddit to our Patreon where you can support us. Um, But do get in touch. That's the main thing. We want you guys to participate and be a part of this. The whole goal is to provide that platform I've mentioned so many times to tell your stories. There is a catharsis in telling your story. There's a healing that comes with telling your story. And that's what we're trying to do here is create a place for you to tell that story. Um, The last thing I'll ask you guys is if you would rate review and subscribe that is the biggest thing you can do to help the show keep growing and in order for us to keep making it it's got to keep growing so please rate review and subscribe that's all i'm going to bother you with this one ran long you guys have my apologies um but thanks for sticking with me through it all and we will catch you guys next week be good to each other go out and do something good in the world Though the hill might be steep, and the trail be rocky, the mountaintop awaits. Carry on.